Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Kofefi on Unsafe Space. Today is Wednesday, October 2nd. I'm Carter Laren, and I'm joined by a special new guest host today, uh, Gracie West. Gracie, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing Kofefi with me today. Glad to be here. How can people follow you just so people, I mean, a lot of people I think know you in our audience because we've had you on the show previously, but just in case people don't know who you are, how can they follow you and follow your work? Well, I have a YouTube channel, so Gracie, actually it's Embarrassing Mom, and I'm not sure if it will pull up if you search for it. I think I've tried searching for it and it doesn't pull up, uh, and it could just be that my I have around 3,000 followers and maybe that's not enough for them, but it could be that they're doing that thing, you know? Right, Shadow they'll Manning. probably hit you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am not orthodox, so they probably shadow ban me. Anyway, uh, you can, maybe we'll link in the description for the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. All right. And I'm on Twitter, mostly just reading everybody's craziness. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but I'm at Reed Gracie West. Cool. Well, Gracie, you, um, you know I've been talking about some craziness going on in your school district. Uh, and we've had a lot of people watching this show complaining about stuff that's happening in their school district or asking us to cover um, what the social justice community is doing to kids. Um, why don't you just give an overview of what's happening in your school district right now? Okay. So for a little bit of background, in case you don't know me, if you're not following me, I am, like Carrie, a former SJW. I am an ex-feminist ex-leftist, proud to say so. Uh, you know, I, her, and I, her and my story track very closely. We both saw the hypocrisy at some point and generally saw it through the violence on the left, the far left, and it kind of gave us a wake-up call. And from there, we realized when I ask questions, I get shushed. And then that brought up more questions. <laughs> Eventually, you know, you red pill. So that's my background. And so when I read- You actually majored in gender studies too, right? You're like, you're full on, full on SJW. Uh, yeah, I'm embarrassed, but yes, I did. I, I, I got a degree in <laughs> gender studies, women's studies at the time before we knew that there was no such thing as women. So oh. yeah. Now you're enlightened. No, yeah. And then I got a master's degree where I studied feminism even more. So a waste of time and money, except that I can, I can see when this stuff is seeping in. And I think we all know it's like a, a like a deadly virus. Once it takes hold, it really all, in, it's all encompassing and it kind of takes over the dominant ideology. So uh, you can see that happening in all kinds of places in society. One of those places and especially in academia and education. So yeah, so recently my kids' school sent an email that said, well, actually it was a school district. So basically the entire area, all the different schools are affected by this. They sent us an email that said, we've changed our code of conduct. If you wanna hear about it, join us at this meeting. And it was only five days from the point that they emailed. And uh, so, and my husband, it has a graduate degree as well. He's studied sociology and theology, so he can see also the religious nature of this movement. And anyway, we realized we don't have a lot of time to look at this code. I mean, five days and we're working and we have other things to do, but we definitely read through it. 
and realized this is essentially uh, SJW Marxist philosophy that is in, infiltrating the school district very strategically. And so we went to the meeting and pushed back a little bit, but it was interesting because the meeting itself was set up in such a way that they didn't really give you room for feedback that was negative. It was very hard to insert that. So, huh? Well, so interestingly, you sent me the code of conduct and I, my response to you was I can't find the, I don't see the big problem here, Gracie. I don't see where's the equity problem. I did see some weird problems like um, for example, the punishment for um, mistakenly forgetting that you had some ammo in your pocket because you were at the range over the weekend is equivalent to the punishment for stealing between a hundred and a thousand dollars. So there's definitely some stuff that made me go, what the hell? Like, yeah. Well, like, because if, because they're talking about guns in particular, that's unorthodox SJW. That's basically like red flagging that if you're conservative, we're going to come after you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone through airport checkpoints with like spent, spent ammunition by mistake or whatever, because it fell into my bag and it was at the range and I didn't like notice. Um, but the idea that they even say like, if you, if it's by mistake, like if it's intentional, it's even more severe punishment, but by mistake, uh, it's, it's the same as if you intentionally stole hundreds of dollars, but that wasn't, I mean, you know, that's just an aside, but I said to you, Hey, I can't find where's this equity thing you're talking about. And you pointed out something, uh, kind of devious to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you have to do with this document is you have to follow links that it links to. Most of these links are legal references, laws or whatever, and they're kind of in the footnotes. But once in a while, there'll be a link to a policy that they already have existing that they're referencing in passing. And so what you have to do is follow that link and then read what they're saying there. Of course, most people aren't going to follow that link. They're just going to read the code of conduct and they're going to say, oh, okay, it looks okay to me, you know? Yep. So, but of course we follow these links because we know what's up. Right. And, and what'd you find when you followed the link, Gracie? <laughs> well, uh, you know, they essentially what they say is, and I'll pull it up as a screenshot here. All right. So what I found is the equity policy because um, they say that everything they do is going to be done based on equity. See, it says um, equity, and this is something also you need to keep in mind. This, this policy consistently says we're going to do X because Y is going to result. Fully benefit everyone. That's the goal, to everyone fully benefit. So they always say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to foster, equity fosters an inclusive and barrier-free environment in which, and now here's how it's going to end up everyone will fully benefit. So they do this, we're going to do X because Y. And so they always tell the reader what their, the benefit is, even though the reader never questions, like maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Right. And, and, and that, I mean, I would disagree with that statement in the first place because equity doesn't mean treating everyone equally. Equity no. means outcome-based assessment of groups. Exactly. So the statement they, that that is going to, foster like everyone's going to fully benefit from that is false that's a false statement it is it's absolutely a false statement but that's why they have to put it in there this is why this is what's going to happen the yeah. district will apply this principle of equity to all policies 
programs, operations, practices, and resource allocations. Now down here it says, we believe, and it's interesting because they do use the word belief in this document quite a bit. We believe resources must be allocated equitably, not necessarily equally in order. And then here's, yeah. the, and now here's the resulting thing. Of course, they want to tell you what the good is if that's going to come from this weird sounding policy in order to maximize the academic achievement of every child and the ultimate success of the entire student body. All right. So that's telling. Um, at least they admit that equity is not equally. Exactly. They are, they are having to put that in there because the average person who says, hey, you're not treating my child fairly, they're going to refer to the policy and said, see, it says not necessarily equally. And of course, if you're just reading this, you're like, oh, equitable treatment. And then, oh, not necessarily equally. But hey, this is what the good that's going to come. And they kind of follow up. They always follow up their stated ambition. Like, here's what we're going to do. It's a statement. We're going to do this. And all these good things will follow. Like they, they kind of help the reader feel a certain way about what they're doing. Right. Right. And which is obviously not objective in terms of how you present your case. But I mean, just one thing, I know a lot of people know this, but it's worth pointing out. Um, you know, when groups perform differently, when you, when you group people into, you know, groups based on sex or race or whatever it is, when they perform differently, equity is the theory by which you ascribe a univariate cause to that without any evidence, that cause being the immutable characteristic that defines the group. So if it's people of this color perform differently than people of that color, the cause must be discrimination based on that color there's no other possible cause that's the cause yeah um that's what equity means it's basically a uh a fancy way of saying you you make up a univariate solution and don't bother to look for any other possible reasons why there might be disparity between groups yeah exactly uh and so what they say in this in this policy is that they will use disaggregated data and then in the equity policy they describe what that means which is uh, we will break it down by race. It lists them. I could pull that up too, but it lists them. Race. I think I've got it here. It says race, race, ethnicity, language, special education, gender, and socioeconomic background and mobility. Okay, yeah. So they, they say that they are going to take th those categories and they're going to assess the entire school district for disciplinary action. How many people who have a different language than English have experienced suspension. How many people that are, you know, not white essentially um, experienced suspension? And then they're going to kind of go through like that. How many people that are not men, you know, men or whatever. So they're going to go by gender and all those things. They're going to break it down and they're going to say, Oh, look, it's disproportional. And so what they mean by equity is, if we see that our disaggregated data is showing something we don't like, we are going to adjust how we discipline kids. Okay. You, I'm going to share my screen again and it, and I'll show you exactly where in the policy it says that. Okay. So it says determining the disciplinary response. The code of student conduct is intended to provide guidance to school staff in addressing 
student discipline issues in order to align practices within and across the school district, including, and they put it in parentheses, including addressing historical inequitable outcomes for various student groups. Now, right here, they don't tell you what those groups are. I mean, a student group could be like, you know, one of those campus clubs, but no, they're... The chess club. <laughs> yeah, the chess club. No, they're, they're talking about historical inequitable outcomes. So they're looking at outcomes, history outcomes for various groups that they have determined that they put kids into. And so that's how they, that's how they best address inappropriate behavior. Right. And so this is, they're very, they're being very explicit, although they're doing it in such a way that you have to dig through the document and follow links. I mean, the average person isn't going to read this and say, Oh my gosh, they can discipline boys differently than girls or, right. you know, they can discipline different races differently. Watch out Asian women. You're going to get suspended a lot more because uh, you're, you're not getting suspended enough compared to some other group. Exactly. And, you know, when I went to the school district meeting, I thought to myself, I wonder how many of the administrators are ignorant. I wonder how many of them have been in education for a long time and they still think that they're doing things the old way. So speaking of the old way, let me pull up some of the things that they changed. Because here's what we, we had five days to not only read through and, and assess this, but also ask them, which they gave it to me the day before the meeting, ask them for the old code of conduct, because I wanted to see exactly what they changed. Sure. Yeah. So we had one day essentially to determine what it was that they were changing. And it is just it's egregious in terms of civil rights. They, they took out everything that re referenced civil rights of the individual, literally carved that right out of the policy. Wow. Uh, let me see, I'll find it here. So, and we have an equal education opportunity law, but, and that explicitly states every student has equal opportunity regardless of, and it tells you those categories. Right but they are overlooking that when they implement equity. Right, the equal opportunity and equity are at odds with each other fundamentally because equal opportunity can often lead to inequity and in outcome. Or, yeah. You know. yeah, all right, so this is what they carved out of the old code of conduct. The district shall enforce consistently, fairly, and without bias all student conduct policies, administrative regulations, and school rules. A student whose conduct or condition is seriously detrimental to the school, and it goes on, but down here it says, the district will ensure careful consideration of the rights and needs of the individual concerned. So those yellow highlighted areas were deleted. Well, yeah, all of this, this whole thing. Oh, the whole thing was deleted? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I'm highlighting the point that they are taking out wording that says the uh, rights of the individual yep. and taking out wording that talks about with doing things fairly without bias. And that's exactly because they are going to do things in a biased way. They're going to have to because um, what's going to happen is schools will be measured on, you know, the district will come to a principal and say, hey, your, uh, your, school has these inequities, you've suspended too many people in this group or not punished these people enough. 
And that principle is going to then need to turn around and make sure that the policies that are in his or her control are adjusted so that we take race or sex or whatever into account so that the next time his boss comes around, uh, he gets a pat on the back for having an equitable outcome. Exactly. Discipline. Exactly. And that I, I took an audio recording of the conversation we had at the meeting when I brought up to the, and most of the people I was talking to were administrators because nobody showed up to this meeting except a huge group of Spanish speaking parents. So they literally didn't speak English. They had to have an interpreter and they had to sit in a separate group. There was literally like three parents, four. I mean, this is a school district, but they threw this thing out there. They'd been working on for two years. They threw it out there within a matter of days and people are supposed to adjust their schedule to be there on Thursday. You know what I mean? Right. And have read through all of this. No, they didn't want people's feedback. And it was clear when we got there how they organized the meeting that they weren't looking for negative feedback in particular. They were looking for positive feedback. But anyway, uh, one more. I'm going to read a few other things that they took out of the old document because it's telling. Okay. And I can play. I've got some of those audio clips from your meeting. So I'll play those after we look at this document. Yeah, because in those audio clips, I bring up the fact that they are ex in this document explicitly stating that they will discriminate based on groups like race, class, sex, etc. And I and twice or three times, different administrators said, "Yeah, they agreed." Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Let me share my screen. All right. Can you see this one? Yep. The major objectives of the district. This is what they took out. Uh, of the district discipline program are to teach the following fundamental concepts, understanding and respect for individual rights, dignity, and safety. This so is they removed number one? Well, they removed, all, they rewrote the entire... Oh, so that's all gone. Like the whole document was redone. The formatting was redone. The entire... Yeah. Um, I, I'll explain that in a minute. All the things that they totally revamped. I mean, it wasn't even the same document at all. Let and me, understanding of and respect for private or um, private property is one. Yeah. Of oh yeah. No, they don't. They don't believe in that. The Marxist cultural Marxists that we're dealing with, and we can talk about that in a minute. But the the they took out the section civil rights, including the rights to equal education opportunity and freedom from discrimination, and the right to due process of law with respect to suspension, expulsion, and decisions with the student believes injured his or her rights. Part of why they took this out is that they've totally undone this idea of suspension, basically. I mean, they've, they're, they're not doing a punitive way of discipline anymore. Oh, we can talk about that too in a minute, but okay. um, this is also something that was in the former code of conduct. So I thought the wording was interesting. Students shall comply with the district's policies, administrative regulations, school and classroom written rules, pursue the prescribed course of study, submit to the lawful authority of teachers and school officials. When have you ever heard that these days? Yeah, that's it. And conduct themselves in an orderly manner during the school day and during the school-sponsored activities. Careful attention shall be given to procedures and methods whereby fairness and consistency in discipline shall be assured each student. Right. But they're getting rid of both fairness and consistency now. So. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. That's crazy. Let's, um, 
I want to play the audio clips of you at this meeting because it's so you what I'm about to play is you're at this you're at this meeting and you're talking to uh, the administrators a principal and a VP of a school and stuff there and you're explaining your concern that hey you're gonna take race and sex into account right well yeah when you're disciplining yeah so let's just hear that for just a sec I want the individual to be paid attention mm -hmm. to but with the equity model, it's not necessarily individuals that it's looking at, it's aggregated data, which, disaggregated, sorry, which is basically, you have to look at this person and judge them based on their race, sex, all of those things, and then decide, but not necessarily by individual. So that's where I get concerned. Mm -hmm. So you feel like there's a less, we get caught that decisions get made or discipline is taken. I'm just trying to make sure yeah. that I wrap my head around it. Yeah. More based on who that student, what that student looks like. Because of the aggregate, because, the disaggregated data, right. that you have to produce a certain outcome. And so yeah. sanctions might be less yeah. extreme or because more extreme. Because you're going extreme. for an outcome of um, types of people that you've grouped, right? Yeah. nice so yeah you're clearly you're saying and you're very polite by the way uh well, well let me just let me just say for all the people watching you're like just yell at them here's the thing i wanted to go in there and say all of you are dangerous people you're cultural marxists and you could just be murderous you know i wanted to like yell at them but i realized that they they could be one of three things they could be malicious ignorant or wimpy, cowards. Right. So either they understand what this document is doing and they are malicious people, or they are completely ignorant, which is totally possible in our education system. Yep. And so, or they could just be a wimp, which is likely that they know what's going on, but they can't speak up because they feel like, well, they're going to say, well, it's because you're white. And they will say that if you're sure. speaking up and you're white. And, and, and they're liable to not get that promotion or possibly be pushed out later exactly. because they were the ones who expressed uh, wrong think at, at uh, the new, the new policy. So, so yeah. what, I, what I chose to do is act like they were ignorant, partly because I wanted to hear them admit it. I wanted to say, so it looks like this policy is saying this, this, and this. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. It's weird though. Cause there was also some, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, it's possible that they're ignorant because of the school system. Uh, I, I'll play the next clip. The, the, the next clip has the vice president um, of a high school. And she not only is she, she might not be ignorant of it, but uh, two things struck me. One is she doesn't appear to understand how to use words. She's not well-spoken and she's using words that don't make sense in the context. So she's using language that just is not, she's not a good speaker, which is odd for the vice principal, uh, or sorry, a vice president of a high school, you would expect them to be well-spoken and have a good, decent vocabulary. So there was that, but then, then she also seemed to be kind of in denial saying like, oh, um, yeah, 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 that's what, it, that's what the policy says, but really that's, don't worry, that's not actually what's gonna happen. I just wanna play it and then we can talk about it because it struck me as odd. 
I also don't like the idea of taking people as this group and saying like mm -hmm. this color of person. We're not going to expect a lot from. It's like that. That's what I don't like about the disaggregated data that you collect and you say these are your categories. And when you experience an individual child as an administrator, when you experience an individual child with whatever issue, that those characteristics are being taken into account when you're thinking about disciplinary action. That's concerning. Yeah. So. Um, I'm a, one of the vice principals at high school, and I'm not thinking about disaggregated data and large groups when I'm looking at a child. And I'm, I'm with you, but the district policy on equity, if you're not including disaggregated data when it's available, then you're not following the district's policy on equity, because it explicitly states that when available, you must use it. Oh, we're using it, but I'm saying when I'm sitting down with a child, I think that this it comes later in the process because really it's hoping to the fidelity of this document is so that we decrease bias when we deal with children and we and I feel like it's at the individual level. I wasn't arguing in favor of the equity document. I was just saying that's what the equity document imposes on the district. That all policies developed should include disaggregated data when available in the construction of the policy. So, so you're looking at general groups when you're looking at an individual, you're seeing race, color, sex, all of that. But when we're talking about policy, that is different than practice, like actually what happens when I talk with a student. So in that clip, so you know, you and you and your husband are are trying to explain to her and your husband says it very, very clearly. You're in violation of the policy if you're not doing this. This is what the policy says. And she's kind of like, first of all, she says, oh, yeah, we are taking that into account. But she tries to have this weird separation where, well, we're taking it into account on the policy level, but not on the practice level. That doesn't mean anything. Policies dictate practice. That's a, it's a nonsensical argument. It's like, I, I don't know, the policy is you must arrest someone if you catch them on the street corner smoking dope. Well, but in practice, that doesn't mean that in practice we will. Well, no, the policy exactly. says you have to. That's, that's what the policy's for. Don't write the policy if you don't want to do that then. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's this weird, I, I mean, it, part of it, it could be coming from a level of innocence where, you know, I don't know this, this VP, but it could be coming from a level of innocence where she's thinking, well, I wouldn't do that. I'm such a good person. I would never actually do that when I'm disciplining a student. But that doesn't, policies and systems set up incentives and people adapt to those incentives. So even if she is, uh, you know, angelic morally and would never do such a thing, other people will because yeah. she will be judged on her school will be judged on, on equity as a measure of how well they're performing. Right. And let's be honest, this is a, uh, a sort of an, uh, what do you call it? A institutionalized socialism. It's, it's not economic socialism. They're going for academic socialism. And so what she's saying, kind of like Peterson said, when socialists say, well, it just hasn't worked before, but it's, it's never been really tried. What they're actually saying is, if I were Stalin, I would have done it right. And yeah. that's kind of, yeah, if that, if that VP is making that claim, she's claiming to be morally superior than the average person. Yes, which is necessary for anyone who believes in 
uh, authoritarianism in any kind, right? It's like central control of things. You have to believe that usually those people arguing that imagine themselves to be part of that ruling class and they believe that they're morally superior to everyone else and would never abuse such rules. Um, when in fact, the rules are actually set up to incentivize the worst among them. So yeah. that's what will happen. The worst person among them will, well, they, and I, I like that you're saying it's socialism instead of economics, it's applied to like grades because <clears throat> years ago uh, in discussing the unfairness of socialism and the ec economic unfairness of socialism, the analogy that uh, I used to use and I've seen many other people use was, well, can you imagine being in a school in which, you know, uh, the, the kids that got A's, they took a little bit off of their grade and gave it to the kids who got C's because they wanted everyone to be equal. And, and that, that argument used to work really well. People would go, oh, well, that would be ridiculous. And of course, then they would argue, well, economics is different, blah, blah, blah. But they would recognize how ridiculous that was in academia. But that's where this is going. This is, that's not what this document says explicitly. But disciplinary-wise, that is kind of what it says. It's absolutely what it says, disciplinary-wise. So what they're saying is we're going to take into account, they literally said the historical outcomes of various student groups. And they put it in parentheses, and they kind of tossed it in real quick, in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that's not really obvious. I mean, down later in the document, you have to follow a link to their equity thing and the policy that's equity. And when you read through the policy, the equity policy, uh, you can see it literally says, we are gonna allocate resources in a way that is equitable, not necessarily equally. Right. And you, I mean, I don't know. I think people pay attention to national politics a lot and we, we think, oh, well, as long as we don't have socialism at the national level and we protect against socialism there, then we're in a free society. But you're, you're living in a community where little socialists are just implementing microcosms of what would have been a national socialism. Instead, now it's a local countywide socialism. And I, I'm seeing more and more of that. And it's, you're right. It's hard to fight because words like equity sound... They don't sound bad. If you're not, like Gracie, you're well-read on this. You've got degrees. Like when you see the word equity, you know what it means right away. But yeah. a lot of people, I think, reading this, they see the word equity and it means like fairly or something. It doesn't, it doesn't sound all that bad. Equity is not a bad sounding word out of context. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I went there. I was hoping I would be speaking to parents. I was hoping that I could point out the difference between equity and equality and um, parents weren't really there other than Spanish speaking ones. So they couldn't hear what I was saying. Uh, it was clear that they had done outreach to the Spanish speaking uh, population, which is great, but they certainly didn't try to invite other people, you know, right. It, it, I mean, nobody showed because they had just tossed it out there really quick. And when, when we got there, Oh, I should start off by saying, I'll oh, start. I should say, the school district itself didn't think to itself, you know, we should just totally revamp our entire worldview of how we're going to approach discipline. They didn't. An equity officer came into town and told them, you guys need training. From the state? I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. Because what they did is they had an equity officer coming in. And, and it's funny, when she first got up there to speak, she goes, he gives me too much credit. I didn't do any of this. It was all them. I just, they, I just said, yes, you're on the right, you're doing the right thing. 
Actually, she literally said something like, I just say, yes, you're doing the right thing. Okay. Sure. Okay. So she's basically saying, this is how you're going to do it. Right. Yeah. So she comes in, indoctrinates them to all this, says to do it this way, and then sits back and watches them do it and pats them on the head. Exactly. Yeah. So it looks like the school district did this, but you know, it's so strange. This school district did it just like that one and that one, you know, yeah. They're not doing anything unusual or unique or different. It's all the same ideology. That's, that's, it's, it's cultural Marxism. As we know, you've talked about this on your show many times. Um, when socialism failed, when Marxism failed in last century, mid, mid, last century, people couldn't stomach what they knew about what happened in the Soviet Union, for example. Right. So diehard Marxists said, we have to switch it up. And we know this, it's well documented. So they, they cut economics out of Marxism, which is ironic because he would roll over in his grave, like all he cared about was economics. But they applied it to race sex. They, they, but see, this is classic Marxism is creating class warfare. So it puts people in classes and it creates warfare between them and sets them against each other. And it's like, I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but the problem, this is a very serious problem, is when you put people in classes that are immutable characteristics and you put them in warfare. Look how that has turned out in in all kinds of places across the world. I mean, Palestine, Israel, right? Or or like um, Uganda. Or, I mean, you name it. When it comes to class warfare, racially, bad idea because that never goes away. But economics, like you can you can rise above your class or you can fall below your class. I mean, these are things that change. But when it comes to pitting immutable characteristics against each other so dangerous absolutely and this is you know this was one of the failures of marx's prediction because you know he it was the mobility it was the class mobility that really undermined the prediction that the proletariat would rise up and institute socialism in every in every capitalist country or institute marxism because they didn't rise up because they had mobility and marx viewed uh, economic class strata as, as relatively, at least at the bottom, uh, at least the proletariat, the bottom level, relatively static. Um, but that mobility kind of is one of the things that, that made actually the Frank, I think it's one of the things that made the Frankfurt School re-question Marxism. And so you're talking about people, you know, watching the Soviet Union die and watching the atrocities in the Soviet Union. The philosophic foundations were laid for them by the invention of critical theory um, by a Marxist who just didn't like Lenin's version of Marxism, but still wanted to destroy capitalism and gave them all the philosophical foundations for taking that structure and moving it into other immutable characteristics, race, you know, sex, anything else. And, you know, like it's frustrating because the great experiment that has been America, at least to date, has been, can we get people to, uh, can we erase tribal boundaries based on, um, immutable characteristics and have a society in which people are treated as individuals. And obviously um, we never fully were able to raise them. We, when we started off with, with, you know, some horrible, you know, slavery and other stuff, but the, the kind of goal and the experiment. The market, yeah. And, 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 and we were, we were sort of starting to get to this point where we're a little bit more, you know, a little bit less concerned about what tribe we're in and a little bit more, 
uh, viewing each other as individuals. And I don't, right about, I don't, know, I don't know when I noticed this the most, but I mean, I, I grew up similar, you and I are similar ages, but in the 80s, that was still kind of a goal in mainstream. I know academia has been, been planning this, this war for a while, but in the mainstream, it was, that was still pretty much of a goal. But you know, fast forward to now, and you can see the intentional fracturing, and it's not coming from the right. It's coming from the left. It's the, it's the academics on the left who are intentionally sticking people in these categories and telling them that they need to fight against each other, telling them that they have no chance of um, integrating into mainstream society because they're in this particular marginalized group and it's a zero-sum game and you got to battle your way and battle between groups. And that's just a recipe for a civil war if I've ever heard one. Exactly. You know, one thing that you mentioned was we had kind of this experiment of not breaking up into tribes based on race. I mean, this is new for the, the world. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so the melting pot of America was this story of you can come here, you can try to succeed and you probably will, or you might, you might fail. It depends on many things, including how hard you work, but also could, you could be unlucky or, you know, there's just, but it's like this experiment of let's try to supersede race and see ourselves as Americans because there is an American story and we like to tell, we used to like to tell it. Yep. So the story was the American dream, right? Can you come here and succeed? And, and immigrants still think you can now and maybe you can, I don't know. <laughs> We're trying, we just started a business, but um, what, what the socialists have done and they are working via academia. What they've done is um, well, we know the goal. The goal is to get rid of capitalism, and that's what America is built on. Right. So get rid of that. Well, how do you get rid of that? Well, we, bottom line is you need a revolution. The best way to get a revolution is to have tribal warfare. So they, what they've done in the American psyche is they've broken down this idea of what America is, what it stands for, and now they're literally trying to erase the border. <laughs> like yes. they are so hell-bent on destroying America because once they do that, they get they get the attempt at socialism right which is what they want and and they they want to use all of the resources that were generated by mixed economy capitalist based system uh to cuz socialism socialism can never work when it starts out with nothing it always has to work based off of someone else's accumulated wealth and then it just runs out of that wealth and and you know people die of starvation and then there's a coup and some dictator takes over or whatever. I mean, that's how socialism that's the story of socialism, right? You ride on someone else's coattails, you need, but you need a pot of golds to start with. So America is a great first of all, it's it's morally reprehensible to the socialists because it is still got vestiges of capitalism at its core. And second of all, it's a nice pot of gold to start with. You can you can start with America. Um, and maybe you can ride your socialist wave out, but, you know, it takes a while for you to deplete your resources. Well, you know, people sometimes think this is a conspiracy that, that this idea that, you know, really at the bottom of it is people who hate capitalism. That's really the bottom line when you're talking about all the indoctrination that is becoming kind of religious like in nature using useful idiots like people who are, and I feel bad calling them useful idiots. I was one. What, it, what I was was a teenager or actually early 20s because I went to school after my peer group because I couldn't afford college, but I worked full-time, went to school at night, and what they did is they took a young person's mind who had already been told this American 
story, which is the land of opportunity and individualism and hard work and all that. And they took my mind and they, they told me all of the horror in the world and they pointed it all out and they said, it's actually capitalism's fault and it's actually the U.S.'s fault in particular. And in particular in the United States, it's these types of people's fault. Right. And so, of course, being a moral person, being a religious person, I was concerned about that. And I thought that's a horrible thing. And they, they play on your empathy. So it is because it is the, the essence is socialism trying to take hold. And I know this for sure. I went I graduated from college in like 2003, I think it was. My, all through my gender studies degree, all the material said negative things about capitalism. Why? Why? Right. I mean, you're doing gender studies. Well, I mean, and this is the other thing. I think at this point, capitalism, even when I say capitalism, and even people that are would be maybe open to the, they would be open to the ideas that we're talking about if we didn't use the word capitalism, because the, the word capitalism even has been so um, tainted with cronyism and big banks and like corporate favors and corporate welfare, like all this crap, because we have like a weird cronyist system. But fundamentally, the thing to understand about capitalism is it's just private property. It's just individual rights and private property. That's all it really is. All this other crap that's been built up, that's not essentially what capitalism is. This is all, you know, the bank bailouts. That's not capitalism. All that's cronyism. It's all oligarchy. It's not capitalism fundamentally. But it, but you're right. They've they've been wanting to destroy this. And, and the Soviets were very clear about this in their their strategy was very, very clear. And they, they taught, they sent agents to the US during the Cold War to try and get groups fighting each other, right? They wanted, they wanted races fighting each other and the sexes fighting each other. This was part of their plan to destroy, they needed some kind of uh, tumult in society in order to bring it down. Because as long as people are fat and happy and buying Xboxes, no one wants to revolt. Um, so they exactly. needed that. Yeah. I mean, I had professors literally, uh, well, they would always say explicitly socialism is morally better and the capitalism is immoral. I mean, they'd say it in so many words. They would even hint that communism is probably fine too. I mean, they kind of flirted with it, but this was a long time ago. I'm sure they're just being very explicit now, but they were very explicit about what the goal was, which was socialism and they even would i even heard a couple of things i don't know if it, i can't remember if it was an actual professor or in the reading material but it would hint at this this uh, idea that we might need blood in the streets to get it done to get real justice to get real fairness to get real you know equality and that's how they would phrase it you've probably that's, that's certainly what antifa thinks yep and the, the antifa is really an a vestige of academic leftism yeah, I mean, Antifa was, it, they were basically the communists. So, you know, again, in the Weimar Republic, there was the, there was the rising uh, fascists who eventually took over, and there was the communists, and Antifa was the communists fighting the fascists. There was not, um, they're not a, they're not anti-fascist uh, unless your entire worldview consists of communism versus fascism. Uh, but, you know, if you have a worldview that includes alternatives like capitalism, Antifa is not, they're not anti-fascist, they're pro-Marxist, that's all they are, um, and, and violent Marxism if necessary. Yeah, 
So, and one of the things that is a sleight of hand with language, well, language is their specialty. They like to change the meaning of words. They like to create new words. This is an academic phenomenon, but it's also a very strategic move when it comes to convincing people. Well, first you have to define, here's what this means, and this is how you go get it. And so people are just talking past each other because they have different definitions. People who went through university have this definition of this word people who didn't have this one. And so they, they can't even have like a real, a meaningful conversation. You know, you meant, I'm glad you brought up before you brought up this idea that people, people think that you're like a conspiracy theorist saying, Oh, there's, it's, you know, what do you think? There's some sort of Marxist conspiracy. And that's not the way to look at it. There doesn't have to be a coordinated conspiracy with, you know, smoky rooms it's, it's better, I, th I like thinking of it rather as a mind virus. So you, you look back at a few key figures in, in history, pr predominantly um, probably the critical theoreticians of uh, the Frankfurt School, pushing this stuff out into academia in the US as well, because they relocated to uh, Columbia University during uh, World War II. So uh, pushing these this ideas out, and it's a mind virus. And that mind virus just ran its course. And so, you know, you can fast forward to today and you can say, oh, this is a big, they're all, they all have the same agenda and people look at you like you're talking about a conspiracy theory. They, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory for them to all have the same agenda. They don't have to be talking to each other and coordinating. They just all have the same distorted, sick world of view. And the next steps that they need to take in their little domain are very clear according to that worldview. And so those all, those all are are working towards the same goal, not because they've necessarily had surreptitious meetings talking about it, but because they're all infected with the mind virus that's trying to destroy Western civilization. Yeah, and it explicitly says that that's the goal. Uh, all the material you read in university, they explicitly state that's the goal, tear it down. And Jacques Derrida, a French philosopher, he is mostly to blame he started this idea that everything in Western civilization is bad and should be torn down. And, uh, but, uh, you know, as far as this mind virus goes, ideas live longer than people do. And right. so we step into ideas when we come into this world. And then we leave this world with the ideas still floating there. And so just because Stalin is dead doesn't mean his philosophy is, right. you know, <laughs> right? I think... Jordan Peterson talks about it like this. He says, those that are animated by this sort of postmodern Marxist philosophy, you can tell, even if individually, on an individual level, they go about their day quite normally sometimes, and maybe they'll put their ideology out there verbally once in a while, but mostly they live a contradictory existence in that they enjoy their capitalism or whatever. But, but if you put them into a group, they're animated by an idea. So the idea is what is alive and people are animated by it, especially in mass. And I think that's partly why they're such collectivists. Yeah. Think about it. I think this is what I was trying to say earlier about language. They, they came up with this phrase, people of color. And if you think about what that actually means, that means everybody except white people. But what's, and so that's the ultimate collectivism. That's like taking the massive majority of humans on earth and pitting them against one type of race, right? Yep. And that's crazy. That's crazy. And, and, and they get away with it all throughout the university constantly. So that's the thing. I think a lot of people try and they look at these 
uh, different kind of crazy leftist things. And they're trying to understand how they relate. And if you try and think like, because people often, I think they, they, they wonder like, well, what do these people want? And what do those people want? What are they trying to achieve? And if you think about them as trying to construct something, it's sometimes it's very difficult to understand the through line that they all share. But if you just realize that what they want is destruction of Western civilization and, and like the white Christian heterosexual male is Satan, that's the through line. That's oh, all. Yeah. Once you understand that, then you see that like, oh yeah, all of their behavior is focused on destruction of that. Yeah, exactly. It is. You, I challenge you and anybody listening to take women's studies texts and find what it is that they want, what it is that they say, here's what we want, here's what we're aiming at, here's our goal, here's what we want to do. Explicitly stated is the destruction of, well, all things Western, essentially. Yep. How, do, how do they phrase it? They'll sometimes say it like this. I don't want what you value, white, male, straight person, Western Christian. I don't want what you value. In fact, I want to deconstruct it. And these are very explicit. So it's not that they're, they're not saying, I want to build this other thing. They're saying, I want to destroy this. But what's interesting is they assume femaleness. I mean, historically, I mean, the, the gender studies is kind of getting to the point where women don't really exist. And now they're kind of internal warring about do women exist, etc. But when I was there, you know, they would say women are inherently empathetic and compassionate and communal. Men are inherently power mongering, money focused and individualistic. Therefore, those things are bad and women are good and their characteristics are good. Now, if you just put women in the world, then everything would be great because you'd have compassion and communalism and empathy and etc. But you can't run the world like that. And in fact, sometimes empathy has been wielded in horrific ways. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I reject this idea that, um, so I think a lot of times people use empathy. Um, and so empathy is just an emotion. And a lot of times people look at people who disagree with them and they claim that they do it out of, because they don't have empathy, but, but, they, but the people who are arguing for one thing does. And the, the analogy I'll use is like, I've used this before, a heroin addict, right? And well, I'll use a male and a female just for just to piss off feminists, I guess, and be stereotypical. But, you know, a woman looks at the, let's say someone who's high in empathy, quote, or is, is viewed as high in empathy, looks at the heroin addict and says, well, he's suffering, he needs more heroin, because he's, he's, you know, going through withdrawal, we need to give the heroin addicts more heroin, look at the suffering, don't you want to end the suffering? Don't you care? And the other person says, look, it's not that they lack empathy. They're saying, no, we don't want to give this person heroin. We want to lock them in a room so they can't get heroin, actually. That's what we want to do. And the person touting and bragging about their empathy looks at that other person and says, you have no empathy. That other being is not empathetic. I actually think it's the other way around. Empathy without reason is, is destructive. It's not empathy. It's not real empathy. Real empathy is the feeling plus being able to project into the future, what action is best in the best interest of that person? And it's not to give them heroin. That will lead to their destruction. It's more empathetic to not give the heroin addict more heroin. But it's used, they've, they've taken this and they've kind of said, oh, look, look at us, we have so much empathy because we re we're reactive in the moment to an, an emotion that builds up without thinking about the consequences. 
that's not empathetic. That's stupid and destructive. That'll destroy society. That kind of, you need long-term thought. You need a rational person to come in and say, actually, I know you want to give him heroin. That's going to kill him. Right. You know, they like to use uh, people's words against them in the sense that if you say logical things, they will they'll take the idea of logic and they'll turn it against you by when they indoctrinate people, they'll say, um, here's what we believe and all of this stuff. And then by the way, if you hear people saying logic, that's the enemy's camp. Um, the white guy, the, the male, you know, all that. So what they're doing is taking what would be what Jonathan Haidt has done research on the difference between conservative values and liberal values and conservatives value about five things that he broke down and liberals value about two, three. But the difference being that the conservatives also uh, value some sense of authority and loyalty and things like that. And so, but what happens is the left thinks the right is evil but the right thinks the left is wrong. And so the difference being the, the, this, this animated ideology is teaching the people who are possessed by it that their enemy is actually not human. And that's a Marxist phenomenon. That's, you, you, pit, you do class warfare, but to get people to actually not have empathy for the people that they attack, they have to believe that they're not human or that they are evil. And so even though they, they tout empathy, they lack empathy for their enemy because they have been taught to hate that person. Yeah, I, I would just say as a, I mean, I guess I'm, the left now would say, would, would complain that I'm more on the right, but I, historically I've been you know, libertarian, which is neither left or right. The left, the left has way less empathy than the right in my, you know, my observation, the left doesn't have empathy. The left says they have empathy, um, but you know, you measure empathy, not like everyone, everyone is upset when they see a child suffering, both the right and the left. They both feel bad. They disagree with how to handle it. But the left has zero empathy for people who disagree with them, mm -hmm. um, like you're saying. And, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's ludicrous to, to, to cede the empathy high ground to the left because, you know, Look at the way that they gang up on people. Look at cancel culture. Look at Antifa. Look at the way they attack anyone who disagrees with their orthodoxy. Yeah, well, they've come to believe that they are morally upright and righteous, self-righteous. You know, uh, they don't worship a God other than their, themselves. And the idea, right, this idea that possesses the masses. But, um, yeah, they, they lack empathy for people be specifically because they are told to hate them. The irony being they play on people's empathy to get them into this club, but they also um, treat people so poorly. You can't say you're open-minded or you can't say you're tolerant when you're on the side, but they do. That's, that's, yeah. It's just the inherent hypocrisy that's built into this movement. And part of it is the changing of the meaning of words. Yeah. So. Circling back to school before, I know we should wrap up soon, but circling back to school, there's one last thing I want to bring up to you and, and ask your opinion, because you have two kids in like middle school age, right? Yeah. Um, I've been talking with a friend of mine, and actually we interviewed a high school student from Colorado uh, a few months ago. Uh, they have this whole safe to tell program, which is, it's got its own problems I won't, I won't talk about. But one thing that I'm hearing from uh, parents in Colorado is 
this generation of kids is being raised to not even really understand or appreciate civil liberties in any way. So you mentioned that they deleted all the, you have a right to this and civil liberties, uh, right to private property, right to privacy. They're, they're growing up in this, these schools are indoctrinating this generation of kids that don't expect privacy, don't expect, uh, they don't actually expect um, fair uh, treatment in terms of uh, trial or you know, um, innocent until proven guilty. They don't expect that. They, they don't, they really just expect that they're supposed to obey authority and authority is whimsical and irrational and may, might steal their stuff, but so what? Might kick them out. So what? They, they're really, they're being raised to be serfs, not yeah. to be independent citizens. Absolutely. And because we have a country that has worked so hard to build individual rights, civil rights, um, the Constitution alone is built toward protecting the individual from the government rule. Right. But because we've worked so hard for that, that's that these policies that are being implemented on a local state level are actually illegal. Um, and that's why they direct complaints. They changed this policy from if you have a complaint about the way that uh, related to the educational program or services or whatever, they changed the language from direct it let me show you. I'll screen share. Okay. I'll have it right here. All right. So they said, this is the old code of conduct. Direct complaints related to educational programs and services um, may be made to the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights. Now, they took that out, and here's what they say in the new one. Any complaint about, let me, let me get that bigger. Any complaint about school personnel other than the superintendent will be investigated by the administration before consideration on the board. Uh, basically, complaints against anything can be just directed toward the board. The entire policy continually directs people to the board instead of to their U.S. constitutional rights. Yep. Well, and, and that's intentional. Have you seen, do you think the like culturally the kids that are, you know, your kids' friends and, and that kind of culture, are they, would you agree that they're, they're not really appreciative of individual rights as such compared well, to the minister? Yeah, um, I don't know. I, what I hear from them a lot is, uh, so-and-so was rude to me, they're a bully. And I'm like, no, they were just rude to you. Right. And they're like, well, they said this. I'm like, yeah, they're rude. Well, but they're a bully. No. Do they pick on you all the time? No. Well, then they're not a bully. I mean, they have this idea that you have to protect every little tiny feeling. And, and if, if you uh, are hurt, then there's a name for that person. Right. right? So and, this, and, and that person is vilified because bully is a bad name to be. It's bad to be a bully. Yeah. Uh, I do see the ideologies seeping into the kids all around. I mean, I, the other day, there, I know all the neighbor kids, they all come into my house, they play. The other day, this little kid came in and I was looking at him and I thought, I don't, I kind of recognize him, but I don't know him. And he's playing in my house as if this is totally normal. And then I, and it took me a while. And then I realized, oh, this is that little girl down the street. She has overnight cut her hair like a boy, changed all of her clothing like a boy, 
told my children to call her this boy name and wants to be called he. And I mean, it was overnight. Like she was literally wearing girl clothes and long hair playing Barbies in my daughter's room, <laughs> like the, the, wow. the, the week before. So the, the idea is if you don't fit in to the stereotypical female, you clearly you're a boy. And, and it really, really, because I think that the old feminists, they're probably rolling in their grave and they're probably dead by now. I mean, they would never want to say there's only one kind of female. And if you're not that clearly you're a boy, they wouldn't, that would be anti what they wanted. So the whole point was that women could be whatever, you know, you could behave however you wanted. You could have, you could be tomboy or you could be super feminine and it didn't matter. You're still a woman. Right. So, and then I have to talk to my children because they're like, well, what's going on? And luckily I had already warned them about this before it happened. I had, I sit down with them every day, every night at dinner and we talk about all of the ideology that I, all of the things we kind of pick a new thing every night, you know, let's talk about communalism versus individualism. And we talk about these things at dinner because I know that they are getting the opposite message at school all the time. Uh, And so I had already kind of warned them and, but when it happened, like literally walked into their bedroom, they're like, Oh, um, well now what do I do, mom? Do I call her this new name? Do I call her he, I, I and, you know, and then I have to, then I have to figure out like, how am I going to raise my children? Like it's complicated. Cause I, I don't want to be like, no, we don't believe in that. And I also don't want to be like, yes, do something against your conscience. Cause you know, she's female, but now she's pretending. I mean, it's, complicated yeah to be a parent of kids today well it certainly doesn't you know doesn't help the 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 school districts aren't helping um i know a lot of people are doing more and more homeschooling but even the private schools are uh indoctrinated most Uh, Um, yeah my daughter came home the other day and said mom i learned at school today that i'm not 100 percent american why not she said only Native Americans are 100% American. And I said, oh, were you born in Europe? She goes, no. And I said, were you born in Africa? No. Were you born in America? Yeah. Well, then you're 100% American, darling. And she's like, oh. Well, even Native Americans, I mean, they 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 came in through uh, Alaska originally, right? I mean, they don't. She's I mean, not everyone, native. If, you, if you can rewind history enough, we're all African. Okay. Well, she's not Native American, but she is a native to America. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. We could go on, but. Uh, well, uh, Gracie, this has been long, but fun. It's been a great talk. Thank you for, um, thank you for joining and doing a Kofefi with me. We'll have to yeah, do it again. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for watching. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share. You can go to unsafespace.com to buy merch. Um, and you can go to subscribe, start to support us there. You might see an ad once in a while on YouTube, but not much. So uh, any, any money we have to keep the lights on comes basically from Subscribestar or, or merch. So uh, anything you can do there or just like and share the content. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks again, Gracie. Yeah, thanks for having me.